This morning, as we're starting this brand new series called Restarting Your Life, I like to start off by asking a question I think most of us will know the answer to. And that question is, as we wrap up and we leave the Christmas season and enter into the New Year season, what kind of things do we do? What do you guys think? I know there's going to be some audience participation today. It's going to be crazy. Pastor Larry's not here, so I can do it. It's okay. So what do you guys think? What do most people do as they leave Christmas and enter into the New Year? Very good. The most popular answer is is that people tend to make resolutions. And this reminds me of a story of a young boy who went up to his father and he asked, Dad, what New Year's resolutions are you making this year? And he thought for a moment and he said, well, honestly, son, to tell you the truth, my New Year's resolution is to do everything possible this year to make your mother happy. Aww, right? And the boy was kind of excited and he was pleased with this answer. So he went to his mother and he said, Mom, what are your New Year's resolutions? She thought for a moment. She said, you know what? My New Year's resolutions are do everything possible to make sure your father keeps his resolutions. (laughs) See, why do we make these things anyway? I think most people tend to make resolutions because there's a part of their life that they want to change, a piece of their life that they wish would be different. And they've done all kinds of surveys and statistics. And one of the most common ones is that the average American, the average human being, their number one resolution is to lose weight. And we see this coming true as the gym memberships start to skyrocket, the diet plans go into effect as we exit December from all that eating and enter into January. And by like January 3rd, you give up on that resolution, right? So we have these resolutions to start to lose weight, which reminds me of another story that I read about a wife who came into the bathroom to see her husband standing on the scale, sucking his stomach in, trying to read the numbers. She said, well, honey, you know that sucking your stomach in isn't going to help at all. To which she harshly replied, well, of course it is, honey, because if I don't do it, I can't read the numbers. See, all of us have areas of our lives that we truly wish that we would change. And this is one of the very few times when everybody, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, is going to be doing the same thing at roughly the same period of time. And that's leaving one place and going into another. And of course, I'm talking about leaving 2014 and entering into 2015. See, the number 14 represents the number for deliverance and salvation. And the number 15 represents the number of rest. It's rest that comes after deliverance and salvation. And I think these two numbers specifically in this format is very important for us to understand as we finish up 2014 and we enter into the 2015 year. So as we prepare to celebrate another brand new year, there's a couple things this morning that I'd like to briefly talk about, about how we should leave this year and prepare ourselves to enter into the next year. So naturally, once again, the question I must follow this up with is, what is it that you are planning to leave behind as you enter into this new year? Now, there's lots of things in our lives that we collect over the years, whether it be possessions or it could be feelings or emotions or just different things. What kind of things should you leave behind as you enter into 2015? Now, this may be a hard question for most of us to answer because we're a generation of people who truly like to hold on to things, whether they be possessions or feelings or emotions, whatever it may be, we tend to grab a hold of things and hang on to them a lot longer than we actually should. And so the question is, what do we truly need to let go if we're going to be moving forward? And that's why it's very important as we leave 2014 and we enter into 2015 that we recognize a few things. And the first one's noted on your bulletin. And the biggest thing is that as we leave 2014, we need to leave it completely. And what I mean by this is that think about when you pray. 
When we pray, we go before God and we say, God, I've got all of these things in my life. I've got all of these worries, these fears, the anxieties, these stresses, all of this just weighing me down. God, I pray that you just take it from me. Amen. And then we take all of that we've just given God and we take it back with us. We say we're going to give it over to the Lord, but we never actually end up doing it. We always hold these things in our lives. We don't fully let them go. You see, we need to leave things where they belong. We can't just say, God, I give it to you, and then we take it back, right? It'd be like on Christmas morning when you're giving gifts to your relatives, your parents, or your children. You're like, oh, I got this beautiful gift for you, and you see the excitement as they open it. You're like, haha, just kidding, and you take it back, right? You feel crushed inside. And that's kind of the same mentality that God feels. He says, I want to take it. I want to help you through this. But if you keep taking it back from me, I can never help you with it. You must leave it completely. If 2014 is really going to be a year of deliverance and a year of salvation, don't you think there are a couple things that you probably should leave behind in the past? Maybe things that have held you back from truly experiencing God in a new way. Maybe it is things that have dragged you down as you tried to be a better Christian. Maybe it's things that have hidden your eyes from truly experiencing and seeing the work of God in your life and how he's blessing you. See, 2014 is a year of salvation, this year of deliverance, where God says, I have rescued you. But what have I rescued you from? Are you still clinging onto those things as you move forward? Or are you truly allowing them to be released? What are these things that we leave behind? And I think it can be summed up by saying we should leave behind anything in our lives that truly obscure our eyes from seeing Jesus in the fullest possible extent. Anything that prevents us from experiencing Jesus Christ and our relationship with him is what needs to be left behind. That's what it truly comes down to. You see, being a Christian, it means to be moving forward. And I like this concept because if you've ever noticed, a lot of times we equate our, our faith, our based, all of this stuff with a walk, right? Our walk in life, our walk in faith, our walk with the Lord. And the reason we do this is because walking involves action. It involves movement. By its very nature, walking means you're moving forward. And by moving forward, it means that you're leaving one place and you're going to another. And that's how our walk is. We were in this one place, in this one stance in our life, but now we've been moved to a better part of our life. We've experiencing these things, but some of them may not have been good, but we're able to move beyond them and enter into a new place that God has designed for us to be in. And it's a glorious thing when we see this. So as we leave 2014, we need to leave behind the parts of us that are no good, the parts of us that do us harm, the parts of us that don't help us at all. So this morning, I'd like to offer just a few suggestions of some things you should think about leaving behind. And the first one, once again, on your outline is you should think about leaving your resentment behind. You see, most of us resent something. We all have resentment, whether it be something that you've said or something that you've done. Maybe it's something that somebody else has said or somebody else has done to you. Each one of us resents something. And with resentment comes unforgiveness. And unforgiveness is a very difficult thing to carry. It's a very difficult thing to move past and keep within our lives. Looking at scripture in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, it says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will will not forgive your sins. Now we must understand that to forgive someone doesn't necessarily mean to forget. You see, we can never forget our memories, but we can forget our resentment. We can move past them. But how do we do this? 
Well, I would recommend, I would suggest that you start to look at these experiences from a different perspective. You start to look at it with a different set of eyes. Instead of looking at your resentment from the negative side, look at it from the positive side. Wait a second, that's weird. How do I do that? Well, by this, what I mean is when you remember these things in your life, the things that you reason as you surely will, that you start to see and you look at them as an example of what to never do again. You see, knowing and seeing where the things that you've said and the things that you have done have led you up to this point in time should be encouragement enough for you to say, I don't ever want to do these things again because I've seen how it's personally affected my life. I've seen how it's ruined relationships. It's ruined friendships. It's ruined opportunities that I may have had. And I never want to experience this again. So instead of looking at it from the negative side, we should look at it from the positive saying, now I know where this action will lead me where these actions will take me. So we need to forget the things that hurt us. And we need to forgive the people that hurt us as well. And I like the old saying that says, look lovingly upon your enemies for it is you who have made them. You see, we choose to dislike people based off of our own likes and our own thoughts. And we have this image in our minds that we are the perfect shining example, right? We want everybody to be just like us. But if we start holding everybody accountable to the standard that we've set for ourselves, we're automatically setting ourselves up for failure. And we're setting other people up for hurt and the things that we're going to say to them. And when we stoop low enough to start begrudging other people, they win. They do. So we need to learn as we're ending up 2014 that whatever resentment that we're still carrying, that we leave it behind. But not only should we leave our resentment behind, we should also, as the second thing on your outline, is we should also leave our worries behind. Now, worries to me are kind of like a rocking chair. Well, that's kind of weird what I mean by this. Well, think about a rocking chair. When you sit in it, it gives you something to do, right? You're excited. You could watch a guy sit for hours in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it never takes you anywhere while you do it. Same philosophy with worries. You see, we only worry about two things, things that we can change and the things that we can't change. Those are always the two things that we really worry about. So why worry about things that are never going to help you, but they're only going to hurt you in your life? What's the point about worrying and focusing upon these things? See, when we worry, it ends up taking over every thought in our life and it becomes the predominant thought. We can't focus on anything else outside of what that worry is because it's so big. It's so heavy that it wears us down. You see, worry causes mental illness. It causes stress and causes fear and panic and anxiety. Worry has killed more people than hard work ever has. And we need to let go of this worry. We need to let go. And it's a very difficult thing for us to do. But we need to not only let go of our worry, we need to let go of our resentment, but we also need to let go of our failures. We need to leave our failures behind us as well. See, we try so hard to be the best that we can be. And when we try and we try, sometimes we find out that we don't always succeed. And it's in those moments that we don't succeed that we feel like failures. But what exactly have we failed in? When you think about it, yeah, we may not have achieved what we set out to achieve, but does that necessarily mean that we have failed? I like the saying that says, the only time you fail is when you fail to do nothing at all. You see, Jesus Christ called us to faith long before he ever called us to achieve. And he says that if you believe in me, you automatically will be a success. You will find this successfulness in your life and all that you do. 
And the ancient Israelites, they knew this very well. You see, they would have this beautiful relationship with God where they would just be following him and adamantly serving him in all that they would do. They would be glorifying him and honoring him and God would bless them again and again and again. But as time went on, they would get these blessings and they'd say, oh, we're special. Oh, we have all these beautiful things. We have all these amazing things that we have accomplished. And they become prideful. And they say, we have done these things. I have done this. God never gave me anything. I worked for this. I got it. And their pride would lead to disaster. And this is something that was called the Deuteronomic cycle, where they would have moments of great blessings and their pride would come in and then they'd start to fall. They'd fade away from God and God would have to send in somebody to deliver them from their pain, from their sorrow, from their doom and destruction and bring them back into restoration and forgiveness once again. You see, the ancient Israelites, they knew it very well that even in times of failure, that God would bring to them success and they would do all of these things. Their situation would drastically improve if they sought the Lord. But we're told that God will turn our failures into successes if we do truly allow him into our lives. And we see this by looking at the Old Testament book, First uh, Kings. If you read with me, First Kings chapter 8, verses 33 and 34, it says, When your people, Israel, have been defeated by the enemies because they sinned against you. And when they turn back to you and confess your name, then you will hear from heaven and you will forgive their sins and bring them back to the land of their forefathers. See, when we as a nation or when we as an individual stray from the Lord, we're going to find failure in our lives again and again and again. But when we truly turn back to God, God hears our pleas. He hears our requests. And he says, I want to save you. I want to rescue you. I want to lift you up and restore you because we have a God of grace and a God of restoration. But he can only do these things if you are willing to give it to him completely. If you truly give it all over to him. So as we leave 2014, we probably should pay close attention to the words of Paul in his letter to the first Corinthians. He writes this, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. In other words, look deep within your heart. Is Christ Jesus in you? Or do you just acknowledge him and continue to live the way that you think that you should be living? Do you truly give God the honor, the glory, and that you live for him the way that he wants you to live for him? Because if you do these things, then Jesus is in you and you have been a major success. It doesn't matter what anybody else can say about you. You have not failed because Christ is in you and you have been successful. So as we head into this new year, into 2015, we need to make sure that Jesus is firmly planted in our hearts and that he's able to cover us with his blessings and with his grace. So that way we can make this next year the best year that it can be, the best year possible. And we need to choose to leave behind the things that distract us from really experiencing God to the fullest extent. Imagine a trapeze artist who's swinging high above the air with no net below them. They're reaching from one swing to the next. Now, if they fail to let go of the swing that they're on, will they ever reach that next swing? No. And the same thing is true with us. If we're so busy holding on to the things of the past and never really reaching out to grab hold of things of the future, we're never going to get anywhere in life. We're never going to find all of the blessings that God wants to give to us. 
And I have another example for this. And for this, I'm going to need some help. I'd like to call Connor Canzoni up here to join me on stage. And this is something that I did with the youth group in a series called Moving Past Your Past. And it's a very uh, powerful illustration, I think. And he knows what he's getting into. So we're going to make fun of him this morning. But uh, I do it now because I do think it's a very powerful illustration. Well, this is Connor. Everybody say hi, Connor. Connor is a superstar. He's a stud. He's a great guy, right? I told him I was going to embarrass him. The goal is to get his face nice and cherry red today. But he's a great guy. You see, Connor, he's living his life, right? He's been born, as you can see. He's having this great time. You know, he's maturing in the faith. Things are going well, you know. But as time progresses on, he's decided to say, you know, what? Well, this is great. I'm here, but I need something to do. I need to have something in my life. Well, most parents and most societies will say, well, the thing that you need to do the most is you need to go to school, right? Because you need to be learned. You need to be educated, right? You need to have all these things. So we're going to add school. If you guys can see it says school. We're going to add school to his life. So now we've got Connor and all that he is, and now he's got school. And if you notice, he looks at us like, what the heck? What am I supposed to do with this, right? This is kind of interesting. It's kind of squishy and orange and I can play with it, but he can get in trouble too if he plays too much in school. Anyway, so he's got school and things seem to be going well for him. He's having a good time balancing who he is and balancing school and everything else. But then as he's in school, he starts to realize that he needs something else. He needs to have a deeper connection. He needs to experience life to the fullest. So we're going to add relationships. It's bright and red. His girlfriend's not here, so I can do this today right? He's going to add relationships. And once again, he looks at, he's like, oh, what do I do with this, right? This is weird. This is a new thing. How do I balance school and relationships and who I am? But so far he's doing a pretty decent job, right? He's able to kind of juggle all these things, still being who he is, balancing school, learning about what he wants to do, having a relationship, investing upon this. Well, things end up going really well in his relationship and he starts to have a family. Now we're adding children. I know. It's like, whoa, see that face? Like, I'm not ready for this. What's going on? We're now adding children. Now this relationship's moving really fast, right? So we add children to this mix, and now it's getting a little bit more complicated. He's still who he is, but he's got schooling that he's got to focus on. He's got a relationship that he's devoting his time to, but now he's got a family that he's got to try to balance in there as well. But if you notice, all three of these are the exact same size, which means that he's trying to invest the same portion of himself into each of these three categories. But eventually, he's going to start to get tired. But as time goes on, he realizes, that's great. I've got school. I'm working towards an education where I can have a job and do all these great things. I've got a relationship that's been so good that I now have a family and everything is going well. But I need some me time. All of my time is focused in school and in my relationship and in my family. I need some me time. So we're going to add some sports and some hobbies to it. So now, in addition to everything else, he's going to try to balance sports and hobbies. And he's an avid soccer player, so maybe he's going to do soccer or go running or he's going to be the next ultimate kite fighter, fighter, you know, whatever it may be. He's trying to balance all these things out in his life. But he's still doing a good job controlling his life. Everything seems to be going well, but he's trying to hold on more. But he still realizes in his life that something is missing. He says, that's great, I've got school. That's great, I've got relationships. That's great, I've got sports. That's great, I've got children. But I'm still missing a deeper connection. And there's only one place that I can find that. And where is that? It's church. 
Now this should have been there long ago, but he's just now realizing, okay, let's balance church. And if you notice, he makes church, or I made it for him, the exact same size as everything else because he's trying to say, okay, I'm going to spend an hour in church, an hour with family, an hour with kids, an hour with sports, and the rest of my life in school, right? So he's trying to balance all these things. Now he looks a little bit overwhelmed right now. He's trying to carefully balance everything. He's not quite sure what to do with it all, you know, he's, but he's still managing very well. But as he's going to church, he learns about tithing and he realizes, oh my goodness, I've got student debt that's growing and growing and growing. I've got a relationship that I haven't paid anything for yet. And I've got children that I can't support. So I need to do something to get financial means. So we're going to add work. Now, work is slightly larger because we all know that work likes to add a lot to us. So now he's carrying work to be able to provide for all of the things possible in his life so he can pay for all of these things. And as he gets into work, he realizes, oh my goodness, I have completely neglected all of the bills in my life. And so now he's got to balance all of the bills paying on top of work with the relationship, with going to school, being at church, playing his sports and hobbies, and managing a family at the same time. He's doing well, right? He's doing good. But you see, he's starting to struggle. In the midst of trying to balance all of this stuff in his life, it's starting to pressure him. It's starting to weigh him down to where he becomes sick because he's working so hard trying to make amends, trying to make all of the ends meet to provide for some to do all of these things that he's starting to get sick. So illness now comes into his life. Now, illness, you know, it's a little bit bigger than everything else, because when you're ill, it affects everything that you do. It affects your relationships. It affects your school, your church, your relationships, everything, well, except for the bills. Well, kind of it does. But all of these things, it does affect. And it's starting to become the focal point of everything that's in his life. So as he's got his illness, his bills, his relationship, his school, his church, his family, his sports and hobby, and all of these things, he starts to suffer because he's realizing, oh my gosh, I can't balance all of this. And so we're going to add suffering to the mix. <laughs> okay. He's doing great. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, well, that's one way to get rid of illness. So we're adding suffering to the mix right now. Okay. So he's now got, he's suffering because he's trying to balance all of these things. The illness in his life is taking over the predominant feeling inside of him. He's caring so much. He's overworked. He's overwhelmed, which this brings about stress. Stress is the coup de gras here. Stress is that we have no idea where we're going to put it. So we're going to go right here. He's a soccer player. This one's got a little divot in it. So I'll just put it right there on the forehead. Good. All right. Now he's got stress in his life as well. So now he's balancing stress and uh oh, <laughs> there goes his stress. So now he's balancing stress. He's balancing all of these other things inside of his life. He's not quite sure exactly what to do. He's doing a good job balancing everything so far. But as he is trying to juggle all of these things, one thing that's bigger than everything else, the last piece gets added to him. And what this last piece is, is the piece that, like I said, is the biggest thing, and it is doubt. Because he is now starting to doubt, I'm sick, I'm ill, I'm suffering, I've got to provide for my family, I've got to go to school, I've got to get an education so I can get that right job, I've got to pay off all of those bills, I've got to do all of these things, but I'm starting to doubt that I'm going to be good enough. 
I'm starting to doubt that I can ever be the person that God wants me to be, that I can ever be the husband that my wife wants me to be, or the father that my children want me to be, or the employee that my boss wants me to be. I doubt that in the midst of all these things that God can come in and help me. And so we're going to try to add doubt somewhere to this. This will probably fall real quick. Perfect. So we now have doubt. He's now balancing everything. We'll just let that one go. He's now balancing everything in his life, right? But in the midst of all this, God is standing over here and he's saying, hey, I want to help. Hey. Hello? Can you, can you see me? But you see, his problem is that he is clinging so tight to everything that he feels is important that he cannot see God. Because his eyes are hidden from truly experiencing God in a new way. He's saying, I am so focused on making my own life, doing everything possible on my own extent, that I cannot see God calling out to me. God reaching out saying, I want to take this burden off of you. I want to help you relieve this pressure, this stress, your fears, your anxieties, your doubts, everything that's going in your life. I want to take it from you and I want to shower you with blessings but he'll never be able to see it unless he's willing to let go of the things in which he's holding deeply onto. You see, if you fail to let go, you're going to miss the amazing things that God has in store for you. We need to let go of the past. We need to be delivered from our fears, anxieties, our doubts, our stresses, our illnesses, all these things, and truly seek to have this relationship going forward with Christ. So in the words of God, let it go. Or if I'm frozen, I guess that works too. So, all right, let's hear it for Connor. He did a great job balancing everything. See, and look how happy he is once he let it go, right? He's so excited now about everything. Earlier I said that the number 14 is the number for deliverance and the number for salvation. We need to let 2014 be fully completed. It needs to take its place in the hallway of the past. Whether it was good or bad or helpful or unhelpful, it needs to be put into the past. We need to let go of it. And as we let go of the past, what we need to do next is to grab hold of the future. And that's the really important step is once you let something go, you need to grab onto something else. See, each new year is a very representative thing. It represents to us a whole new range of opportunities of unlimited possibilities of the way that we could be better in this next year, the way that we can succeed in new ways in this next year. Now, I like reading articles typically around the New Year time. Because a lot of magazines, they give predictions of how the year will be, right? We see forecasts of how they think the year is going to end. And one of, some of them are pretty close. Some of them are way off. One of my favorite ones is from the 21st century. And it said that technology would be so advanced in the 21st century that the average person wouldn't have to work longer than a 20-hour work week. Now, I know most of us in this room can assume that they are just slightly off on that one, right? Just very barely miss that one. But technology is getting more and more and more advanced. But as the more advanced technology gets, it seems like the more busier we become. Someone once said the merry-go-round of life is spinning so fast now that there's no chance of us stepping off anymore. And if that's true, then we need to go into our tomorrow with as much help as possible from today. So how are you going to fare in the new year? Will it truly be a new year of beginnings for you? Will it be a new year of opportunities, a new year of all of these endless possibilities? Will you have the wherewithal to analyze yourself openly and honestly to say, yes, there are parts of my life that I truly do need to let go of and parts that I do need to go and grab onto, that I need to reach out for. See, we need to be very wise as we enter through the doorway of time. 
And one of the best suggestions along the signs found in the letter of the Ephesians, coming from chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. See, if we're going to make the best of the future, make it all that it's supposed to be, we do need to understand a few things. The first thing that we need to understand is that our time here on earth is limited. And it's so true that our time is limited. Psalms chapter 90 verse 10 states the following. It says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. You see, our lives seem so long to us, but in reality, they're so, so very short. Considering that, wouldn't it be good to analyze ourselves and make sure that we use 2015 to be the best that we can be for God? I mean, getting totally sold out for Jesus, meaning it doesn't matter what your friends or your relatives, your coworkers, your neighbors are going to say about you, but truly seeking to glory and honor God in every part of your life as you enter in this next year, recognizing that our time is truly limited. It seems like forever to us, but it's over in the blink of an eye. The psalmist, he writes and he says that our life lasts no longer than the vapor of our breath. It's here and then it's gone. Two teenagers in love can sit in a car and they can talk for hours and only seems like minutes, but to their parents, it seems like an eternity, right? There's a magazine article that I was reading a little while back that came up with a, a new clock or reading an article about a new clock that actually keeps track of how much time that you have left to live. And they actually average this in and it calculates the average lifespan for a male of 75 years and of a female 80 years. And they say it's because men are more prone to do dumb things and take five years off their life. So, but for a mere $100, you can program your age and your gender into this clock and it will tell you exactly how much time that you have left to live. Now, this may be going to the extreme, but the Bible does tell us to keep track of our days. What I mean by this is it's not telling us that we should know when we're going to go, but the time, what it means here is that we need to know that our time is limited and we need to make the most of it. We need to be responsible for the time that God has actually given to us. If I live to the age of 75, I have nearly 16,908 days left alive. Now that may seem like a lot, but in comparison, it's really short comparing that I've already lived 10,467 days as of today. You see, what we think is long is really short. It's over in the blink of an eye. So in the limited time that I have left here, my question should be, what am I going to do to honor God with all that I am? How am I going to spend this time to bring glory to God? We have such a short time here in this life, but it's upon that short time that all of our eternity is dependent upon. So I think any sane or any rational person would realize that our time is limited and analyze themselves openly and honestly to say there are areas of my life that I need to change, areas that I need to let go of to move through this doorway of time, to see what God has provided for me and grab it with as much gusto and energy and focus as I can, recognizing that it too shall be over in the blink of an eye and that it will be gone. See, we need to reach out. We need to prioritize our lives in this manner. And this is the other thing is that we must prioritize so that way we don't lose what we have. And this is important because it's estimated the average doctor reads over 200 medical articles each year just to keep up with all the new changes and procedures. This averages out to about 16 articles a month. And we know most doctors don't have that kind of time and a lot of them feel overwhelmed because they're expected to do something they have no idea how to do. 
How many times have we heard it said that somebody had a mental breakdown because there was so much going on in their lives that they were overloaded, that they were overworked? Have you ever heard of anyone having a mental breakdown because everything is fine? No. See, we must make sure that our priorities are set in order so we don't overwork ourselves, so we don't overwhelm ourselves and truly take the focus off of God in this coming year. It would be wise for us to learn what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. It says, there's a time for everything, time for everything that's done on earth. There's a time to be born and a time to die. See, time management isn't as difficult as it first appears. You write down the things that you do, put a priority of how you view them in your life, and then put how much time that you spend on them. And I pray and I hope that God and being at church is somewhere on that list. If we're truly going to make 2015 all that it's supposed to be, we need to recognize what in 2014 took most of our time away from serving the Lord and remove that, move beyond that to pay closer attention to God in all that we do. So if we could recap real quick what we have so far as we're wrapping up. As we go into the new year, we should leave the things that we consider to be failures in our lives. Whether it be bad personality traits or doubts that God can or will help you, if it's not helpful, we need to learn to leave it in the past. We must go into our new years with our eyes wide open so we can truly grab hold of everything that the Lord is presenting for us. That means that we pay attention to him constantly, not just giving him the occasional head nod in passing that we're truly focusing on God, realizing that our time is limited, so we must prioritize our lives to make sure we're spending it appropriately to serve the Lord. But there's a third and final thing that we must do if we're going to use 2015 as a new year of beginnings, a new year to get our lives right. And that is that we must know what the Lord's will is for us. Again, quoting from the Apostle Paul, he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is for us. I'm assuming that if you're here in church today, that you realize that you need the Lord in your life. And it's under that assumption, I'm hoping that you really, truly believe that your relationship with God is more important than anything else in your life. And this knowledge means that you will still be here in church, even if you decided to go out and make bad decisions the night before on Saturday. See, God never called us to be comfortable. God calls us to be focused upon him in the midst of everything else that we experience in this world. And to do this, he tells us to break our number one New Year's resolution, which was to lose weight. God says, if you truly want to be sold out for me, if you truly want to focus on me over anything else, you must be fat. Wait, what? It's an acronym. Don't worry. F-A-T. You must be fat. First, you must be faithful. Are you faithful to God? Are you faithful when it's convenient for you or when God needs you to be faithful? Second thing, you must be available. How available are you? Do you go to church just when it's convenient for you or when you have nothing else better to do? Do you go and witness to your friends or do you go outside of your social circles of the people who have never heard the word of God before? Are you available to truly do what God wants to do in your life? And the third thing is you must be teachable. Are you willing to listen to any pastor or anybody standing up here on the stage and tell you, give you advice of better ways to connect to God, better ways to plug in, or do you just get irritated and quit listening? I can tell you that for most of my younger life, when I would sit out in the audience, I would be tuned out when a pastor would say that I was doing something wrong in front of the Lord. And I would be kind of enraged inside saying, this person doesn't know me. How dare they judge me? How dare they critique me or tell me what to do? But you see, that was my own self-will and my own self-pride that Satan was using to cover my eyes from truly seeking God in a whole new way. So if we're truly going to experience God, we need to be faithful. We need to be available. We need to be teachable. I had a philosophy professor who once told me in a one-on-one conversation to listen to all the advice that you can get. 
and discern it and then remove anything that's not helpful and hang on to dear life, that which will save your life. See, it's so important for us that we recognize that if we're going to make this next year the best year possible, that we are faithful, that we are available, and we are teachable. If I could close to just one final thought, I'd like to read you what Paul says in his letter to the Romans in chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. It says, make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off oblivious to God. The night is about over and dawn is about to break. We need to be aware. We need to be awake to what God is doing. This means that we can't afford to waste a minute. We can't squander any of these precious daylight hours sleeping in or bickering or giving in to frivolity or indulgence or grabbing everything in sight. No, we must get up. We must get out of bed. We can't loiter. We can't linger any longer. We need to get dressed, get up and go and serve the Lord for all that he has called us to do this year. We must step forward. See, you now have a choice. We're leaving 2014. This is the last Sunday. This is your last chance to get right. To say, God, I'm leaving 2014. All my pains, my frustrations, my anxieties, my worries, my fears, my resentments, my failures. I want to leave them all behind. And it's your choice to walk through this doorway of time to say, I'm going to carry with me everything from last year. Or you can say that I want this year to be the best possible year that I can serve the Lord. Let the past be in the past and let the future be in God. But to do this, it requires an honest evaluation of your own life, an honest evaluation to say, am I ready to truly let go of things? And this is what we're going to be focusing when we come back next Sunday, the first Sunday of the year of how we start the year off better. See, God wants to give you a do-over for 2014. The question is, are you ready to accept it? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just praise and thank you so much, God, for just this, once again, this opportunity you've given us to be here. God, we pray that you truly do speak to our hearts. God, that we can recognize that our time here is limited, God, that we need to be available. God, that we need to be teachable. We must be faithful to do what it is that you call us to do. God, we struggle. God, we wrestle with all of these things in our lives, God, and we know that you can take them from us. God, we pray that you open our eyes to see that we don't need to hold on to these things anymore. But God, that we can truly give them over to you to seek you in a whole new way, God. God, to reach out for you and say this year, God, 2015 is a new year. It's a chance for my life to get right before you. And I'm going to do everything possible to make sure that that comes true. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to be faithful to you. God, I'm going to be there when you need me to be there. God, I pray that you just convict our hearts, that you open our eyes to see you, God, and to see that we truly, truly desire to have a deeper, more personal connection with you in this next year. We love you, God, and we give you this in your name. Amen.